Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. Get comfortable. We got some really good stories today. Some listener suggested mm-hmm. divorces for both of us this week. Mm-hmm. And we went into recording both of our stories without an actual theme song. Which we don't normally do. We normally know. We uh, normally know, but we didn't know the through line. So you're going to hear a lot of potentials, but we've gone with Tusk. We have Fleetwood Mac. It's, I mean, go back and see that episode. It's one of the... It's one of my favorite, yeah. It's one of my favorites. It's ever. one of our listeners' favorites, too. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Fleetwood Mac, Carly Simon, James Taylor. It was a really good one. All right, so why don't you tell listeners about your jaunt through the Italian... High fashion, High fashion, trashy yeah. divorce. Oh, God. Maurizio and Patrizia Gucci. It went poorly. Oh, God. It went so poorly. It was the divorce that rocked the 1980s in the scandal tabloid world and, well, the murder <laughs> that rocked the 1990s. There's a little true crime adjacent. Yeah. It's all pretty scandalous. Stacy, who are you uh, revealing the portrait of today? Sure. I have uh, former Cars... Front dude, Rick Ocasek, and supermodel Paulina Poroshkova. I actually, they didn't complete their divorce before his death at the age of 75. And like, I don't, I don't know that they would have. I just don't know. Anyway. It's a sad story. Yeah. It's a sad story. I really like the car's music and feel kind of sad about the whole thing. So it's a, I don't know. You should go down to your super cool subterranean basement and work it out eat my sad candy with your triangular (laughs) bow ties and shit anyway (laughs) hey guys thank you for joining us again before we get started on the episode this week on patreon we are still moderately consistent in our Trash Candy Quarantine link. There's a yep. whole super free Trash Candy link. Stacy, you can get it at, at bit.ly slash Trash Candy Quarantine. And if you check your show notes on your podcast app here, it'll link directly to it. Just, so there's, hit, just hit play on anything. Yeah, there's a bunch of free Trash Candy. This week on Tuesday, we posted up the three-part Trashy Tutors episode that I did back at the end of the year about the Shakespeare authorship controversy, Mm -hmm. which was pretty fun. Yeah, it was. This week for our patrons, woo, you had a super burning high. Yeah, the Jimmy Swaggart story for, um, yeah, anyway, for the Church of the Flaming Dumpster Fire. You had a good bonus divorce with the, ooh, spy who bugged me. Oh, yes. That guy, he was too stupid for his own good. Yep. I covered in our April in Paris series... The tale of Shakespeare and Company and Adrienne Meunier and Sylvia Beach and their sweet love affair and Paris and it was all good and uh, mm-hmm. so much It was very fun. sweet. That one left me a, misty. It was a good story. It does not normally happen on the show. <laughs> <laughs> You're a heartless animal. I am heartless. There's fresh new content coming this week, both on that Trash Candy Quarantine link and Patreon. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for putting us in your ears during this time, we are humbled. Thank you for all your sweet emails and your trashy love. Y'all are the very best. Yes. And I think we need to do a quick magic mirror shout outs to everyone. Oh, got um, some big welcomes this week and big thank yous. Yeah. You want to kick us off? Ooh. Welcome to the Team Trash Candy. Celeste, Moires, Tabitha S, Colleen K, Kelsey R, Candace R, and Meryl. Also, thank you to Livia N, Melissa S, Cindy M, Polly G, and Victoria H. Two super big shout outs. We have two existing 
Patreon supporters that became our super supporter Trash Candy Connoisseurs this week. Thank you. Sarah C. and Lauren P. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And to all of our Patreon peoples. New and existing, you rock. You're the best. We We love you. We love you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We got a good episode this week for Season 6 No Rules. Alicia, are you ready to do this? Let's go, go, go. Alicia, you have a, what is it, a divorce and true crime and high fashion and the world should all catch fire and explode? What? (laughs) Seems like you've packed a lot into one thing. I don't know. Today. Today. I am covering the trashy divorce of Maurizio and Patrizia Gucci. Okay. The scandal that rocked the fashion world. (laughs) Well, one of the scandals attached to the Gucci family that did for a long time. Okay. This week is a listener-suggested divorce from ages ago. Lauren F., I got you. You rock. You have been terribly patient this week. Lauren F., you're the best. As always, all my references are on the Trashy Divorces website, but this one literally has everything. We have raging Italian passions, so many lawsuits, generations of family fights over very large amounts of money, And a Black Widow true crime angle, too. Hmm. You ready to hit the runway? I am not sure. Let's get into it. It is said that the curse of the Gucci family is that even when they're dead, they make those left behind suffer. (laughs) That's what you want people to say about you. (laughs) I think we'll see that in this story. There's a lot of suffering, but most of it is self-inflicted. Wait, that's our through line. From half of our couple. Oh, really? Suffering? Suffering? No, once you're dead, you make the people you love suffer. God, we got to think of a song for that. <clears throat> We're recording my story first, and I don't know what the song is still yet, but by the time we get around to recording our intro, we'll have figured it out, I guess. We'll figure it out. Okay. We hope. Most of the suffering here is inflicted by one half of our, our couple, but we're going to begin with the groom today. Maurizio Gucci, born September 26, 1948. He's a Libra boy. Maurizio is born into the distinguished Gucci family. His grandfather, Guccio Gucci. Nope. Yep. Nope. Guccio Gucci. <laughs> it's 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 Irish. <laughs> it's an Irish name. Guccio Gucci. Guccio Gucci. I run the Leprechaun Pub. <laughs> is the founder <laughs> of the Fine Leather Goods Company. Because I know Guccio of, Gucci. I can't make it up. Of Italy. <laughs> Of Italy, of, of Florence. So Guccio, in 1904, back when he was a, a ute, was a porter at London's Savoy Hotel. And as a ute, he gets a great idea. And he, like, is hauling luggage all over the Savoy. And Guccio's like, wouldn't it be great if all these pieces were easier to carry? How do we make traveling trunks that are oh, smart right. and practical? Right, yeah, because trunks were... Right, okay. They're on carriage. Like, you got to get them up and down from carriages and, okay. Yeah, it's not the dumbest idea I've ever heard. So Gucci, Gucci. Spots a need. Spots a need. Gives up the Irish pub idea. (laughs) Puzzles is, puzzles is done. He, Gucci is going to go back to Florence and he's going to set up a business in 1921 that will sell leather bags to horsemen. And Gucci begins to build a reputation for top notch quality. Leather goods, gloves, bags, it's on. 
Gucci is born in Italy and will soon become an international fashion house. Guccio has a bunch of sons, like six of them. And I go into two of them right now because they're going to become important to our story. One is Rodolfo, Maurizio's dad. There's another son, Maurizio's uncle. His name is Aldo. Aldo has three sons, Paolo, Giorgio, and Roberto. Family ties are a big deal. There's a lot of fucking cousins. Things are going well enough. Gucci, the brand, the line is a hit, and they'll expand the business overseas. And stars like Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis, like everybody wants Gucci. It's a brand. Guccio is going to die in 1953. And now Rodolfo and Aldo are in charge. Maurizio's dad, Rodolfo, is a failed actor. So why not take over a fashion house? It's fine. Maurizio, born in September 1948, super sad. His mom dies when Maurizio's five. So he's kind of a lonely kid. He's a quiet kid. He doesn't have any brothers or sisters. And dad is a a little bit overprotective of Maurizio. He's very sheltered as a child. But like half of the Gucci company is going to come to this kid. So he's an heir from birth. And right, there are three cousins over on the other side that are going to have a little bit more complicated math. It's Guccio, Rodolfo, Maurizio. It's it's a pretty straight line for half of the company. Can I ask, I'm sure a dumb question. Is the O on the end, does that just indicate it's a son? I noticed that all of these male people are all... Probably it's the masculine form in Italian, like A would be the... Would be female. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like... Or the feminine you'd form, You'd have Patrizio or Patrizia. Okay, yeah. that's... Sorry, it's just... Not a dumb question. It's jumping out that all of the... Guccio. Guccio, Gucci. There's a lot... There's a lot of Italian that I have the opportunity to mispronounce in this I feel episode. Like, I feel like Guccio Gucci is <laughs> the son of my name. It's basically... The son of my luggage. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Brought to you by Away. No. Here's the setup. Shy, sheltered kid Maurizio waiting on the trashy divorces depot, waiting to meet his bride. Okay. Enter Patrizia. Yeah. <laughs> Patrizia Reglioni. Oh. Not ravioli. Pasta. Reglioni. I, 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 it's, it, it's gone from my brain. Reggaetoni. Reggaetoni. <laughs> Patrizia, yeah. Chef Boyardee, sure. is oh born God. December 2nd. She's a Sagittarius. She's a fire sign. Spaghettio. Patrizia Spaghettio is the love child of a waitress and a trucking magnet. Okay. Okay. Patrizia is beautiful. She looks like Elizabeth Taylor. And she's going to get the Elizabeth Taylor label kind of slung on her because Patrizia really likes the jewels, mm. too. Just like... La la Liz. Okay. Growing up, Patrizia is showered with mink coats and fast cars by her father. And Patrizia, up and coming, is going to work her way up the social circuit. She will meet Maurizio at a party in the early 70s in Milan. And she says that Maurizio falls madly in love with her. He thinks that Patrizia is exciting and different. And this is in Milan. And remember, the Gucci's are from Florence. So maybe he's a little bit of an outsider too. Patrizia says, I didn't think much of him at first. 
He was just the quiet boy whose teeth crossed over in the front. I know. <laughs> Patrizia doesn't pay him too much mind because there are plenty of other boys chasing after her. But Maurizio has never seen anything in his life like Patrizia. And he will chase her harder. And he's got to have her. And he's got money and influence. And Patrizia's like, okay, maybe we can get you to a dentist. <laughs> so, Patrizia, don't forget, has plenty of family money herself. But she sees herself as the maker of Maurizio. She toughens him up. She sharpens his claws. She wants him. So he wants her. She sees a diamond in the rough. And he sees a diamond. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very well stated. Thanks. This should be a love story for the ages. Patrizia says this was a romance of the ages. She calls it similar to the Capulets and Montagues. It's not a good Romeo story. Of Romeo and Juliet, which is... Not a good story. Yeah. Patrizia has a lot of ideas. It's a bad ending. As we're going to see. But she and Maurizio were thrilled to be planning to spend the rest of their lives together. But alas, dear Stacy, dear listener, mm -hmm. not everyone is happy about mm -hmm. the courtship. Really? The Gucci family is firmly against all of this. Every damn bit of it. Rodolfo, Maurizio's dad, is so against Patrizia. He sees her as a gold digger. She's manipulative. She's not after you, son. She's after the money. Even though she's got plenty of her own? Mm -hmm. Okay. But that's her thing. She's like, I'm an heiress to a large fortune. I right. don't need your money. But Daddy Gucci's like, over my dead body. Rodolfo will even call up Patrizia's dad. His name is Fernando. And uh, he's like, hey, Fernando, why don't you get on my side with this? Let's both forbid this for our kids. And Fernando's like, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Hey, Maurizio, your dad has disowned you. Come live with us. I'll pay for the rest of your university. Oh, yikes. And just begins treating him like a son-in-law. Huh. Poor Rodolfo, Daddy Gucci, at his limit. He is apoplectic about all of this. So next, Daddy Rodolfo is going to go to the Cardinal of Milan. Oh. Oh, just get the church involved. Get right the church we? involved okay. in his help in stopping the marriage, but to no avail. Maurizio and Rodolfo will not speak for months. But Maurizio is determined to marry that girl. And he does. October 1972. Okay. So things go well enough for Maurizio and Patrizia the next decade. The couple becomes the it couple. High living, plenty of cash. They own homes in New York and Milan. They spend lavishly. Like Patrizia goes on $300,000 a day shopping sprees. <clears throat> She um, has 900 pairs of bedroom slippers. It's a lot. That's like, is that all she wears all day? And she just, every few minutes she goes and puts on new ones? Like, I don't know what you do with 900 pairs of bedroom slippers. But can't even begin to, whatever. Okay, rich person. But like Maurizio and Patrizia. We'll have two daughters during this time, and Daddy Rodolfo is now Granddaddy Rodolfo, and he softens a bit with the birth of his granddaughters. He will buy the couple a few homes. They have personalized license plates. They hang out with Jackie Kennedy and all the Kennedys. They throw theme parties. There's a theme party that the theme is orange, 
So all the decorations, all the food, all the outfits, all the... It's just orange. It's because they want to be Dutch. (laughs) They have a ski chalet in San Moritz, a holiday home in Acapulco, and a farm in Connecticut. There are trips to private islands, which they will take on their 64-meter wooden yacht called the Creole, which is still owned by the couple's daughters today. Okay. Okay. Remember the Gucci sons. We got Aldo Rodolfo. Neither one of these dudes are quite on the up and up. So they've been putting money in offshore accounts for years. And Maurizio and all of his cousins, Paolo, Roberto, on the other side are like, uh, hey, uh, dad, uncle, you know, like, where's all this cash going? In 1978, the U.S. portion of Gucci will haul in $48 million, but weirdly, no profits are shown on the books that year. Crazy. It's some shady shit. It is so shady that now the United States and international courts are getting involved. So by 1981, Uncle Aldo is going to spend a year in a Florida jail of- for his involvement involvement with all the schemes. Of all the places... Florida is the one that can make it stick? Okay. Okay. The Gucci family are averaging about 20 lawsuits at any given time. Jeez. And there are six Guccis on the board, right? Aldo, Rodolfo, three cousins, Maurizio. Okay. No one, none of them can agree on a damn thing. And they are all double-crossing each other at all times. And, like, all of this legal wrangling is hot news for now. Like, seriously, this is a trashy family. It's its own episode all on its own with all of this. But, like, we're here for the divorce. There's a little bit more. Because in 1982, the Gucci's will begin licensing their brand. So they get a lot of really quick, fast cash. But the brand is now not on the high end. They've sold the name, but Gucci's being printed on, like, cheap canvas bags. Right. They're in low-end stores. Yeah. And Maurizio is like, um, y'all, Milan is about to become a fashion capital in the world and we have a gold mine on our hands. We have to get our brand back, y'all. This is stupid. Everything changes in 1983 because Rodolfo, Maurizio's dad, dies. Now, Patrizia has had a decade to work on the making of Maurizio. And Maurizio, upon Rodolfo's passing, inherits $230 million in half of Gucci's shares. Rodolfo's death Mm -hmm. will also begin another family feud because all those cousins are splitting over the other 50%. So Maurizio has control. Okay. And Patrizia is like, now is your time, baby. Seize control and make all of my... I mean, your dreams come true. And Patrizia is really pushing Maurizio, who's beginning to have less and less patience for his loudly critical and cannot stop complaining wife. And at a certain point, Maurizio one day, this is like May 1985, packs an overnight bag, kisses his wife, kisses his kids, and never comes back. Maurizio, out. out. Mm Mm-hmm. So now the fight is on because Patrizia is pretty pissed. She's pretty pissed for a lot of years. It's going to take like another six years for the divorce to be complete. Every time Patrizia gets a settlement offer, 
she calls it mere lentils. Mm. And she keeps upping the ante in renegotiations. But after a very long battle in court, Patrizia and Mauricio will finally divorce in 1991. Patrizia Reggiani, haha, that's actually what it really is. Okay. Collects the equivalent of about half a million dollars in annual alimony and some outright millions just for getting the deed done and her kids are taken care of. Yeah. But she's spending it all. She's spending everything she has and she's spending everything that's coming to the kids because of the lifestyle and all that. Patrizia claims to be more Gucci than the actual Gucci family. Oh, of course she is. It's her brand. She's pretty attached. Huh. In 1992, Patrizia is diagnosed with a brain tumor. It is the size of a billiard ball. There's surgery. Great news. Tumor is benign and is removed with no negative consequences. Great. Patrizia, you have half a million dollars a year, two lovely girls, shit ton of money. Your health, stop there, Patrizia. You're good. Be content with your blessings. And is that what happens? No. Does she stop there? Content with her blessings? Patrizia does not stop there, Mm. dear. By 1992, Maurizio will actually take full control of the company. He figures out a way to finagle all the cousins, get their particular nuts and their particular vies, and... Maurizio gains control. He, once he does, is going to sell off all the Gucci holdings to this Anglo-Arab company called InvestCore. Figures differ here, but he's scraping anywhere from $120 million to $190 million okay. on that payday. It's okay. a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Even at the low end. A lot of money. Patrizia, who has been lying low, mad about everything that has happened but not causing too much of a kerfuffle, now decides to kerfuff. Oh, and the kerfuff is on. The kerfuff is on. Patrizia is consumed by her stake in Maurizio selling the company and consumed about what her daughters get. And she is talking to anyone who will listen Maurizio is a lousy businessman and is going to lose everything. And we should be really getting more in this deal. And he is worthless. And I'm going to write a tell-all book about all the crap that your family is. And like Patrizia, motivated by money, is so upset with this move and how to gain financially in it. But also, Maurizio has fallen in love again and has moved they're divorced. It's fine. Yeah, no, it's fine. Also, it's, if she tries to write a book, I mean, the O key on her keyboard is getting to work out as is the C key. <laughs> I mean, she's going to burn through some keyboards. That's all I'm saying. Maurizio has found love. Okay. He's moved into the sweet penthouse pad with this lady named Paola Franchi. Okay. Their rent is a quarter million dollars a year. And their place is filled with art and antiques and... Patrizia. I mean, that sounds a lot like our place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Patrizia, not too happy with this. She will only ever call Paola that woman. Maurizio and Paola have run into each other after the split of both of their bad marriages, and they really seem to hit it off. She is so mad that everyone calls her a gold digger because her previous husband was much richer. She has a young son. <laughs> Patrizia, more than a little crazy. Patrizia is stalking them. Patrizia knows every detail of Maurizio's life, 
Patrizia will call and threaten to kill him. And if he doesn't answer, she'll leave messages on the answering machine, which are intern used in court. This seems super healthy. Wow. (laughs) What a what a nice what a nice relationship. Oh, no, she snapped with the father of her children. This is snapped. I'm sorry. There's not a song for snapped, but this is fucking snapped. So Paola begs Maurizio to hire a bodyguard. And Maurizio is like, she's not going to go through with any of these My threats God, this because is, of our daughters. We told this story with, what was it, Claire Harris? And mm-hmm. then, you, yeah. It's all talk. Don't, do not worry, Bellissima. Oh, my God. I don't know. This is terrible. I know. They move in together and they're a whole happy family. And they're planning on getting married, and life is so, so good, at least in that one penthouse Mm. on that side of Milan. Because on the other side of Milan, Patrizia is a woman consumed with a vendetta. She will write in her Cartier diary for the need for revenge and getting even, and she'll begin to ask people, uh, what happens to me if I teach him a lesson? She's quoted later. Well, it depends on the lesson, doesn't it? I was angry with Maurizio about many, many things at that time. But above all this, losing the family business, it was stupid. It was a failure. I was filled with rage and there was nothing I could do. He shouldn't have done that to me. <clears throat> there's a there's a birthday party for a daughter. And she's asking all of her friends that are there like, yeah, what would happen if Maurizio suffered a terrible accident? And friends are like, uh... Don't say those yeah, things. Near your kids? What's wrong with near, you? Sorry, his kids? Uh, don't. A woman with a vendetta. So yes. Patrizia is about to start some criming. Okay. And she will elicit only the top-notch best of help, her psychic medium. Oh, excellent. <laughs> oh, this has everything, doesn't it? Oh, my God. Okay. This lady's name is, her first name is Pena. Is she into astrology by any chance? Yeah, super, super. And uh, Pena is going to help her with the plan to murder Maurizio. Well, of course. Patrizia... I didn't see that one coming. What? Consumed with revenge. And Pena is like, sure, Patrizia, I got you. Oh, his cards don't say death. Like, Pena never does anything about it because she's like, this is fucking murder. And Patrizia is going to get over this and she's just talking crazy. Okay, so she doesn't go to the cops because she doesn't... She thinks it's weird, but she doesn't think she's going to go through with it. Is that? No. Well, <laughs> Patrizia has elicited Pina to help. And Pina's like, no, I can talk her out of it. Like, this is just stupid. She'll get over this. Like, I'll flip enough cards. Yeah. Know, she just needs to. Just redirect her. You need to calm down. Right. Patrizia does not calm down. <laughs> Every day, Patrizia is like, hey, psychic Pina, you're not moving fast enough. And I need you, I, I don't even want you as the middleman anymore. I need you to connect me with your criminal friends so we can get this plan underway. I got 350K on it. I'm ready to spend $350,000 on this murder. Snap to it. And Pena is like, I'm dealing with a fucking crazy person. Whatever. So, oh my God. Let's get to the true crime part. March 27th, 1995, Milan, 8.30 in the morning. Maurizio Gucci strolls on into his office. This is a year and a half after his ousting and selling the company. He's seeking his next fortune. Everything's good. Three shots fired, leaving Maurizio gravely wounded in his lobby, but he needs to be dead. So there's one final bullet. Oh, my God. 
Oh, my God. The shooter runs into the waiting getaway car, and off into Milan they go. And the police are like, what the hell? Who did this? Because the Gucci family has enemies. Right. 20 lawsuits a day or whatever. Yeah. Most of them are named Gucci, but it looks like a mafia hit. Yeah. Well, and his, is, you know, the, Costa Nostra involved. Divorce is all the way finalized, so Who that's, wants it wouldn't dead, be, yeah. Right? So the police start this search, and it's like the land of red herrings. Right. Because there are investigations upon investigations, so they're looking through all the legal nonsense of all the court battles. Well, it is and, convenient that the ex-wife has been going around telling everyone that she intends to murder her ex-husband. Well, that's it, because they're looking through all this court, like, they have three angles. Like, it's... Family business related, right. it's the mob, or let's not or forget about that crazy, crazy lady who's been threatening him constantly for the hey, last year. Hold on. The day that Maurizio is murdered, three hours after he dies, that's when the legal document is stamped. Paola gets a knock at her front door in that fancy penthouse and gets a court order that she has 24 hours to get out of that place because Patrizia and her girls are moving in. Three hours it's stamped after his murder. Wait, okay, so the so he was not he did not marry Paula, so she's just the girlfriend. She is the, they they are engaged. Oh my they, god! This is why my this god. is why Patrizia has to move right because so pa- Paula's right. his wife ex-wife and he has is, a stepkid. Yeah, the ex wife is evicting the the fiance. That's exactly three hours after he dies, the papers are stamped. You, you need a GTFO. That's uh, and so it's quick. That's oh my quick. god! Wow, what do you have to pay a lawyer to get that kind of rapid response? <laughs> so the cops are like searching and searching and looking at all these company records, but they are highly suspicious of Patrizia. But two years go by, nothing, nothing, no leads, no clues, and then one day. There's a phone call, like two years later, to the fuzz. And the caller's like, hey, uh, I know who did this. And so the cops meet with the guy, and there's a meetup and a wire with Patrizia. And these are not great criminals. So the cops begin bugging Patrizia's lines, her phone lines, as well. And she has no idea that she's been made. So they're honey trapping her. She thinks she's gotten away with murder until... January 31st, 1997, almost three years after the murder of Maurizio, there's a 4.30 a.m. knock at her door and Patrizia is arrested for the murder of her ex-husband. Just to note, her two daughters at that point are 18 and 14, respectively. Okay. Okay. So the other people involved in this dumbass plot, besides the psychic, are a (laughs) doorman and a pizza delivery driver. Oh, my God. They get arrested, too. Everyone's going down. And Pina, the psychic, turns on Patrizia. In May 1998, all the trials begin. And Patrizia's defense is, I had a brain tumor. I had a tumor. It's not a tumor. (laughs) It's not a defense. It wasn't a defense. And Patrizia says, it was really my psychic that pushed me in my fragile, fragile medical state. And that defense doesn't work worth a damn and the pizza man the doorman the psychic are all like confessing right and left to try to like yeah help their sentence because they got involved with a crazy person right after months of testimony the jury comes back in seven hours everyone guilty 
They all received sentences of 25 to 29 years for their part, except for the gunman who receives a life sentence. Okay. So off Patrizia goes to prison for a long while. There are some attempts to overturn her conviction, which will all end by 2000, but do ultimately take a few years off her sentence, making it 26 years, not 29. Well, okay. In October of 2011, Patrizia is offered open prison, which I guess is kind of like a work program. Right. Patrizia refuses, saying, I've never worked in my life and I'm certainly not going to start now. So this is like they would let her out from like eight to six or something weekdays and she could go to work and but that's well now she has a lot of classic quotes my favorite i'd rather cry in a rolls royce than be happy on a bicycle i mean i bikes are a lot of fun man hey i i love a bike i got nothing anyway i don't Patrizia. know why yeah i don't know why the cat wants to attack you but <laughs> Patrizia is released from prison in October 2016. She's out for good behavior early. She works with a few fashion companies. We're going to talk about this in trashy tidbits this week because there's a little bit more dish on this. Patrizia will even try to return to Gucci, claiming again that she's the most Gucci of them all, but this doesn't happen. Oh, really? I'm shocked. Patrizia still maintains to this day that she was wrongly convicted. Pina, my psychic friend, set me up. I love this quote. I am not guilty, but I am not innocent. All the things that happened were a misunderstanding. Here's another fun one. Patrizia was once asked by an Italian reporter why she had planned the hit, but didn't carry out the hit herself. Right. And Patrizia says... My eyesight is not so good. I didn't want to miss. Also, I've never worked a day in my life. (laughs) In 2017, there's an annuity of $900,000 for Maurizio's estate that she gets once she's out of jail. Apparently, she also gets back pay, too, from those years that she was in prison, which was like 16 mil. How does that work? I don't. This is contested by the daughters who were both married and living in Switzerland who don't see their mom all that much these days. Really? Yeah. Patrizia is very sad that she's never met her grandsons. Okay, here's what's crazy. There's news, hot news, in November 2019. Ridley Scott Mm -hmm. is going to be making this whole affair into a movie with Lady Gaga in the starring role of Patrizia. Wow. I don't know what the status is on that, but I sure as hell would watch that. I would imagine it's on hold at the moment. For the divorce part of that, 900 trash cans in honor of the number of Patrizia's slippers before she went and caused her own damn suffering. Like, sometimes just let it go, honey. That's how you win the divorce, is you just let it go. You buy new spoons. Can I give you a halo for not making a pina colada joke despite frequently referring to the psychic? It was pina. Pina. Colada. I don't know what the cat's up to. (laughs) And pulling arcane of cards. (laughs) It's the king of spades. It's the queen of... So you gave me the... Of hearts, yeah. There you go. Okay. If you like doing ten card spreads in the middle of the night. Listeners, this is very much what it's like to be just at home with us. So... 
900 trash cans. That's mm. how you win the so, divorce. Like, like mm, I don't know if that's how you win the divorce. No, you win the divorce by walking away. Yes. Yeah, so just yeah. let it go. But she didn't. Okay. Good Lord. There's this other interview <laughs> where Patrizia is interviewed and she says, if I could see Maurizio again, I would tell him that I love him because he is the person who has mattered most to me in my life. Then she's asked how she thought her ex-husband would respond. And Patrizia says, I think he'd say the feeling wasn't mutual. <clears throat> the trashy divorce, the 900 Woo! trash cans. I'm not going to yeah, rate a, a trashy murder because that part is really, really bad. I feel like there was a lack of mutuality there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She did serve her, her due sentence mm. for that. Patrizia is out now. She's living with her 89-year-old mother. And, you know, her kid, like, it's kind of a sad life. Major choice. Major choice. Hmm. We will cue some music and come back. Therapy. Always better than murder. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. So, Stacy, this week you have a often requested listener, Trashy Almost Divorce? Yeah, this is the uh, almost divorce of former Cars, I don't know, songwriter, guitar player co-singer Rick Ocasek and, and supermodel uh, supermodel Paulina Poroshkova. They were together for 28 years. They began divorce proceedings. And then uh, while recovering from an undisclosed surgery, Rick Ocasek died last uh, September. At the age of 75, it was Paulina who discovered the body. It was... Um, there's it was news. Yeah, there is no foul play suspected. Let me open with that, given what you just had for us. Not um, everybody can be a Gucci. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> So sometimes very private people end up in very public roles and for former cars, I don't know, front person, whatever, Rick Ocasek, the limelight was not where he thrived. And then there's the incredible childhood story of his third wife, to whom he was married for 28 years, supermodel Paulina Poroshkova, which is like amazing in its own right. There's a lot here that's very cool. They had separated not long before Rick died in September of 2019 at the age of 75. And... Uh, we're going to just do a little a little bio, um, largely informed by uh, an excellent Rolling Stone piece by the writer David Brown. We will have links on the website, of course. TrashyDivorces.com 
We're going to start with Rick because he's quite a bit older than his- How much older? 21 years. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He was born um, Richard Theodore Otkasik. I think the T was too much of a mouthful and he dropped that professionally. On March 23rd, 1944, he's an Aries. He's born in Baltimore. And he did not have an awesome childhood. His dad had some kind of technical career, was pretty aloof from him. Ultimately, the family would move to Cleveland when Rick was 16 and dad went to work as a systems analyst for NASA. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, kind of cool. But again, I guess not super hands-on. I don't think the marriage was happy. His mom drank a lot, perhaps to deal with the fact that dad was pretty aloof. Don't know. He's a rocket man. Sure. He's a rocket man. Um, Okay, so Rick's grandmother gave him his first guitar when he was a young teenager. And after Rick finished high school, he tried out college at a couple of places, Bowling Green and Antioch. Decided college was not for him. He dropped out because he was going to play rock and roll. Perfect. Because it was the 60s, and that's what you do. That's what you do. He meets bassist Ben Orr, who would later be the Cars bass player, during this period. And they'd play together for several years in Ohio, like kicking around and touring and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Rick relocated to Boston. Um, He had been married in Ohio, his first marriage. There were two sons, uh, but the marriage did end in divorce. And maybe that's what got him to Boston to start fresh, where his second wife lived. Oh, good. Please come to Boston. Not sure how, yeah, I'm not sure how much overlap there was there. Possibly a lot. Interesting. So in, in Boston, he marries Suzanne LaPointe. Suzanne Okasik, and they'd be together from 71 to 88 and have a another good long time, a good long time. And this is the period when he was a rock star. Um, oh, OK. So uh, this would produce another two kids, Aaron and Derek, from that. And um, yeah, so the technical end of this marriage was in 1988, but it was 1984 where the wheels really began to come off. Of this marriage. This Are you was making a slight pun there? A little. Ah, <laughs> you're funny. Uh, this was a big year for Rick and his band, The Cars. Having blasted into the new wave scene in 1976, they started slinging hit songs in 78. The Cars blended synthesizer, guitar, great riffs, and interesting lyrics into a winning formula that touched on punk and rockabilly in relatively equal measures. In 1977, they recorded a nine-track demo, and soon Boston Radio was blasting Just What I Needed for All to Hear. Such a good song. It's such a good song. Electra Records signed them, and after Just What I Needed became a nationwide hit, it was followed My Best Friend's Girl, Good Times Roll, You're All I've Got Tonight, Bye Bye Love, and Moving in Stereo. The band was named Best New Artist by Rolling Stone in 78. Nice. Their debut album, The Cars, sold 6 million copies and spent 139 weeks on the Billboard Top 200. Holy cars. (laughs) This was followed by Candio in 1979, which reached number two on the charts. There were a couple more sort of increasingly experimental records. They were not as well received as happens with experimental records. And this is kind of where Rick's passions, I think, started to diverge from the rest of the band. Like, he, I think he was just kind of getting creatively bored. Like, he could write a pop song. That's fine. It wasn't really, it wasn't driving him. Oh, wait, more puns. Okay. <laughs> they took a little hiatus in 82, and they get back into the studio to record Heartbeat City in 1984. 
Okay. This would become a smash hit, spawn radio staples that persist to this day. And as a spiderweb, um, Mutt Lang, Shania Twain's ex-husband, really produced this record. And oh, Mutt Lang. Uh, Rick hated pretty much every moment of the experience. Fantastic. Yeah. He said, you know, like Mutt was such a perfectionist, it would take him like three days to get a baseline right. Oh, no. And he just, he just said it was so much. Like there was no spontaneity to it. There was no... Now this It's not experimental music, man. This album did remarkably well. Mutt Lang like, has that touch. Mutt Lang does that. Okay. So that's the trade-off, right? This is also where we're going to park Rick Ocasek and the cars at the Trashy Divorces Depot, where they will probably- just revving his engine. They're just going to sit in the vehicle, smoking cigarettes and listening to the radio. Fantastic. We're going to introduce his third wife. <laughs> this is- the zaniest story I've come across in a while for this Seriously? podcast. Uh-huh. Oh, goody. Tell me. Paulina Porskova was born April 9, 1965. She's an Aries, too. Hmm. Oh, good Lord. In really? The, yeah. In, oh, baby. Aries, babies. Oh, you're not. That's not even mm. that's not even the relevant part okay. of what I'm about to tell you. In then communist Czechoslovakia. Her childhood is basically the stuff of spy thrillers or like a plot line in a Cold War geopolitical drama. When Paulina is three, her parents flee Czechoslovakia for the city of Lund, Sweden, because of the Warsaw Pact invasion of 1968, where the Soviets put down what was known as the Prague Spring. And I guess her parents were anti-communist agitators. So parents had, but they drop off their three-year-old daughter with grandma, and they they flee for their lives, I think. Um, is it strange right now that I'm hearing Tusk? playing in the background like the beginning of the americans this is amazing Not strange tusk yeah they Go. oh my god they sent a quarter million troops from soviet and from around the warsaw pact into czechoslovakia to put this down like what it was a big deal it's a big deal her parents get to sweden and they're they're like okay now we're gonna like contact the Czech government and like get papers get to get my to get our back. daughter out of the country and the Czech government's like ha 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 no also no oh um, and also you traitors no so they oh, just no grandma's got the baby and the parents are like oh my god stuck in Sweden the Swedish press gets into this story and it gets even wilder when her mother who then was pregnant again so I saw it described as returned to Czechoslovakia, which is the Czech Republic now, by the way. It's also possible she tried to sneak in or smuggle herself back into the country to rescue her kid. I saw it described as to rescue her daughter. Okay. Yeah, well, mom gets caught. Oh, no. So she's arrested. And then they're like, well, you know what? Here, it's house arrest. And so for the next seven years. What? They are all just trapped in... Czechoslovakia, mom, Paulina, grandma, and then the son who's oh. born, so her younger brother, okay. Paulina's younger brother, and grandma, and grandma, okay. dad's in Sweden, where Swedish politician Olaf Palm, who is very prominent and will serve as the prime minister of Sweden twice in his career, he was assassinated in the 80s. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is, yes, this is the Americans in Europe. Tusk. Um, he really champions this case. Like he is like, no, we're gonna get this family out of Czechoslovakia and into Sweden to be with dad. Like that's so. There's all this international pressure applied. 
It's like 007 and shit. The Czech government relents. They allow the family minus dad to leave. Paulina is 10 years old and she's meeting her father basically for the first first time. time. So they get over there. Paulina becomes a Swedish citizen. Everything is awesome, except that this entire family has been completely deformed by this process. And dad is like, you know what? I'm out of here. Like, his wife has been trapped in Czechoslovakia for... Taking care of two kids. Seven years. With his mom or her mom? Don't know. With the mom? Yeah. Don't know. Wow. So, dad takes off. The parents divorce. And dad's like, also, I'm not paying child support for these children. I don't don't know them. I assume is what I'm guessing. You say they're my kids. Yeah. So, we can can imagine... That young Paulina might have some issues around challenges. Oh my gosh. Like, around trust. Speaking of betterhelp.com. <laughs> yeah. Abandonment. Poor kid. Um, yeah. Just, just everything, right? So in 1980, Paulina's about 15, but she already has a decent amount of notoriety because of this thing that happened to her family, right? She has a friend. This is the craziest story. Um, she has a friend who wants to become a makeup artist in the modeling industry. And so her friend is like, hey, Paulina, can I put makeup on you and take pictures? You're cute. Yours aren't too bad. Yeah. Will do you, you help can me? I, can yeah. I make you up? And She's a teenager. Take some pictures. Yeah, yeah. She's 15. And see if I can find a spot. So this is how photos of young Paulina Poroshkova end up with the elite modeling Agency in Paris, France. Unreal. Okay. Now, fun, fun fact. I don't know whether her friend ever got hired (laughs) as a makeup artist. I do know that Paulina Porskova was about to become the it girl of the early 80s. Oh, for sure. She was the second person after Christy Brinkley, who we've also covered, to appear on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue in two consecutive years in 84 and 85. Nice. And this is also where we're going to kind of circle back around to the the depot to check in on Rick Ocasek, who will shortly need to make a music video for a song called Drive, which he does not sing. Um, I think, is it Ben? I think it's Ben Orr Mm -hmm. who sings that. Timothy Hutton, the actor, directed this video. I had no idea. Did he really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. And so he hires this hot new model. Um, and in the video, like she and Rick Ocasek are, are like kind of playing out the breakup of their relationship during all of the, the lyrics. Anyway, it's a very 80s kind of video. It's a different time, the 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it turns out that Paulina was well aware of Rick Ocasek and the cars prior to this and had a crush on Rick going into this. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the couple that would be referred to as Beauty and the Beast. Rick is was very he's very slender very angular um he had a really cool fashion sense like he was always in cool suits and it was a again a very well, 80s he definitely look. emphasized his angularness he did mm-hmm. i and i watched some video of one of his solo albums today because seriously we still don't have a theme song for this episode <laughs> and he's rescuing a dead girl and there's a hobbit and a, a motion in motion or something sounds I very sounds very 80s but he's Mm-hmm. He's very angular. He's a very angular fellow. He um, would have been a great elf in Lord was, of the Rings. I, I, I don't know why thought, he didn't go for that role. I thought 
Marfan syndrome when I was sort of trying to figure out how to describe him, which is what Abe Lincoln may have had. He was very ah, tall, very very thin, very yeah. tall. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Which and it can lead to cardiac problems. Oh. Which mm. okay, so. <laughs> Suffice it to say, though, Rick Ocasek is not someone you necessarily look at and think, well, I bet that guy does great with 18-year-old supermodels, right? Like, he just, I mean, he's, I don't know, he's he's not George Clooney. I mean, Julia Roberts, I love it. Very, like yes. I guess he's got to be charming. Oh, for sure. It seems like he's, yeah. Well, and these two, they had they had tough childhoods. Differently tough, but there was a lot to bond over. Also, Paulina is not just... Any old supermodel, right? Like, you know, Rick's dad was distant. His mom drank. It was bad. But, like, she had this Bonzo international incident of a childhood. and Tuss. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I think that her father's rejection, like, she must have dreamed of that every day of her childhood. Then it happens. And, like, in no time flat, it just implodes. Like, just for mm, sure. It must have been terrible. So Rick is, like, 21 years older. And she said that she found that really comforting. So after his death, she told CBS Sunday Morning, quote, rejection and loneliness were such traumatic specters in my life. And being with a man who possessed me, who fully possessed me, was really comforting. He was still the man that I loved and that I had grown up with, and I couldn't really imagine life without him. On the Beauty and the Beast moniker, she laughed about it to the Huffington Post in 2017, saying, well, I guess I have a different kind of taste. I don't go for the pretty boys. They don't age well. (laughs) (laughs) That don't impress me much. Yeah, she was like, I'm not sure how this came up. I don't know if the reporter was like, well, what about George Clooney? I don't know. But somehow. What about Brad Pitt? Yeah, somehow George Clooney was in this. And and she said that George Clooney is attractive because he's smart and funny. But if they were to be intimate, she would have to close her eyes because, quote, my husband is the sexiest man in the world 27 years later. Well, that is really nice. Yep. Paulina? Yeah, she would describe Rick, who she called her perfect man, this way. Quote, a combination of Mr. Spock, David Bowie, Jesus Christ, and Chopin. (laughs) I think she liked him. That is quite a visual. So they start dating, which is a little problematic because he was, of course, married. Things became serious enough that he divorced his second wife in 1988. This is the same time that Rick leaves the cars. Oh, wow. They're really top of the world. And it just, he just wasn't enjoying being famous. He wasn't enjoying touring. He felt like touring had damaged his earlier marriages. So in 1989, he and Paulina get married in St. Bart's. And then they move into a sweet 1850s townhouse in Manhattan with like 20 foot ceilings. And what? Rick builds a studio in the basement. La la. And he spends the next few decades working with bands like Weezer and Bad Religion and Not a Surf and Guided by Voices and La Tigra and more. Oh, and No Doubt. Oh, okay. And No Doubt. They're a potential for our song, too. There's a lot going on. True. Weezer bassist Matt Sharp told Rolling Stone, quote, It's not an understatement to say that my life and the lives of the guys in Weezer would be completely different without having that connection with Rick. Bad Religion's Greg Graffin says... He was really encouraging. He said, you're an artist. The basics of songwriting is art. You've got that. Paulina continued modeling with some acting, including winning the highest paid modeling contract of all time in 1988, a $6 million Estee Lauder gig for a black and white TV and print campaign that was widely praised. She's written children's books, 
and young adult books, and she's written for HuffPo. She's appeared widely on television over the decades and even in a few films, some of which were pretty well-reviewed. That's amazing. mm -hmm. She really does seem to be a very talented and and thoughtful and, like, just normal person. I caught her CBS Sunday morning interview when it came out, and I'm like, she just is so... Mm-hmm. normal mm-hmm. and they didn't yeah they weren't ever trying to be any kind of like like hollywood couple like apparently when he worked with weezer he told them not to he was like you guys need to move to new york for a while to make this record because like the la scene just isn't gonna give you what you need creatively to do it so come, come on up over here come on up to where i am and we'll get gritty with it and then they made the sweater song who knew <laughs> This sounds like the <laughs> nicest couple ever. What happens? I mean, uh, well, okay. So in the mid-90s, Entertainment Weekly captured a light moment between them with Rick saying to Paulina, it's okay, honey. I don't think you're a beast. No. Oh, <laughs> in 1993, the first of their two sons were born, Jonathan. And in 1999, Oliver joined the family. Also, these young men are gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Okay, <laughs> so it sounds like Paulina had relationships with Rick's other kids as well. Uh, one of his stepsons illustrated her children's book in 92. Awesome. And then, like, for the next couple of decades, they were just a married couple in New York doing their doing their things, doing their creative things. They'd work together on various stuff and work awesome. separately. He spent time in his subterranean studio producing music for bands, working on his own experimental stuff. People were constantly asking about, you know, whether the cars were going to get back together. But he was just kind of bored. Dude, I got money. I got a hot wife. Like, I'm fine. He he did. He actually was like, at, at one point he said, um, I've, I've got a great life where I can do whatever I want to do. And I, I don't want to do that. I've done yeah, that. I'm good. Yeah. Did that already. That's how you win. So... Oh, I think there was also some uh, some sort of burnout on his part by how misunderstood his work was with the cars, because he actually, he was kind of broody, and he, he embedded quite a bit of darkness in his work. After his death, Paulina would tell Rolling Stone, quote, when people sing a song like Let the Good Times Roll unironically, and then Rolling Stone is like, includes lyrics, Let the good times roll. Let them knock you around. Let the good times roll. Let them make you a clown. And she's like, did they pay attention to the lyrics? Do you know what you're singing? These are not happy, cheerful lyrics. The darker stuff is more who he was as a person. He really tried to put his childhood aside and not revisit it. But what was underneath was a lot of pain. Also, you know, he really just never took to the spotlight. And again, he really didn't enjoy touring. He didn't one of the guys from the band was like, yeah, he he was not a hello Cleveland kind of guy, you know, <laughs> that just wasn't what he wanted to do with his time. So, yeah, there was all of this interest in a Cars reunion and he could not get his mind there. And then in 2000, uh, his old friend and bandmate from, you know, the 60s in Ohio, uh, Ben Orr, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm. So the two reconciled. But it killed Ben, and it that shook Rick pretty hard. So a few years later, the remaining Cars members teamed up with Todd Rundgren. We have a friend who's a devoted Todd Rundgren fan, which I find really funny. Um, as the new Cars, 
And so they'd play Cars hits and Rundgren hits, and I'm sure it was a great show. And for every middle-aged person in the mid-sized <sighs> concert venue hall in America. And and later than yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> so Rick did finally agree to record a new Cars album in 2011 called Move Like This. The band wanted to tour. And Rick was like, I'll do a month. Dude, I got the subterra- sweet subterranean studio basement. I have a studio slash dungeon. I got a dungeon. man cave. I'm, pretty, I'm 70. I'm pretty solid. Yeah. So they go out on the road for... A month, um, <laughs> which I I guess like a lot of the tensions from the past also sort of reasserted themselves. And he was just like, eh, I don't need this. So in... Did you hear? I got the sweet subterranean <laughs> studio basement. In April 2018, the cars were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, them. Mm-hmm, and in May of 2018, Paulina posted an Instagram message that read, quote... Our family has always been, and still is, a well-built car. Metaphor alert! (laughs) When the four of us are together, we can go wherever the road takes us. But as a bicycle, my husband and I no longer pedal in unison. So we're ditching the bicycle. Rick and I have been peacefully separated for the past year. The photos of our happy family are, in fact, happy family photos. We are just no longer a couple. The love we have for one another is so wide and deep, it's practically tangible. And that sort of love can never disappear. Expect to keep seeing happy family photos. As I'm sure you can understand, out of respect for our children and each other, we will not be commenting further, here or elsewhere, at this time. Wow. That is some serious happy talk Crying right there. Crying in the Rolls Royce, not happy on the bicycle. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it was actually that reflective of reality. Bike is in the garage sale. Yeah, so after Rick's death, which followed an undisclosed surgical procedure that Paulina and the kids were helping him recover from, and it was Paulina who found his body. I think I said all that stuff at the front, too. Sorry. Uh, She would tell CBS, suddenly in our marriage, it seemed like only one of us wanted to be married, and that was me. I just know that it's really hard to be married to somebody if you're the only one putting in all the work. And maybe it was age. Maybe he was just tired. Maybe I was too. Maybe I took too much energy to love. I don't know. It's possible. But when it came time for Rick's will to be read, it turned out Rick had had some thoughts beyond that Instagram post. In the will, he wrote, I have made no provision for my wife, Paulina Poroshkova, as we are in the process of divorcing. Even if I should die before our divorce is final, Paulina is not entitled to any elective share because she has abandoned me. Wait a minute. He found a way in recovery from surgery to rewrite his will saying, even if we don't get this shit finished, she gets nothing? I think he probably updated it before the surgery. I think I saw that the will was updated in August and the surgery was, he probably did it before the surgery is what I'm, and we don't, since we don't know what kind of surgery it was, like, I wonder, he may have had a, an underlying medical condition that he just didn't feel like was anyone's business, but it also could be something like he got a facelift and also didn't want that to be anybody's anybody's business. business. Like, it's really, that part's a conundrum to me. Interesting. Anyway, so yeah, he uh, he just he just cut her right out. His oldest two sons from his first marriage were also left out of his will, but there was a like page six spoke to a lawyer 
who suggested that there may have been like another trust fund that they already because they would have been in their 40s right. at that point like, like long no, yeah yeah they'd probably been taken care long of in the teeth otherwise yeah look it's impossible to know what happens in another person's marriage but it really does seem like these two just like got off page and then had extraordinarily bad timing paulina has filed suit as of january 2020 to attempt to extract some of the estate noting that throughout their marriage, all of the fees that she earned from modeling went into the marital estate. They combined their, ooh. Yeah, that, according to her. I mean, I don't know. I, I Yeah, she was the top model of the yeah. century, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't leave her destitute. Yeah. I don't know how that works, right? Like, theoretically, she would have the bank accounts once he died. Interesting. I, I, don't, I don't know much about that segment of life and hope I don't learn that much about it for a long, long time. I haven't told you about all of the millions that are buried in the backyard from my modeling career. Why do you think I'm out there digging all the time? You think I like to garden? No. Okay. So there is one detail from David Brown's Rolling Stone piece that I want to specifically include during this time when so many are unexpectedly working from home or just staying home a lot more than they, you know, understood that they would. According to Paulina... Rick was always a snazzy dresser every single day of the week. Oh, he put on hard pants every day? Even if he was just going to spend the day in the basement playing music, quote, he would wake up and get meticulously dressed. You would not catch him dead in a pair of sweatpants. That's an Aries. (laughs) And for that, I grant a single, willowy, angular, but very dapper trash can To this pretty sad story of what looks like an enduring love that hit a rough patch and maybe could have resolved itself if Rick Ocasek hadn't died. He just didn't have the time. Wow. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's my story. It's a good, almost trashy divorce. Yeah, I feel like it's not super satisfying. It's just kind of sad. Like I'm still hearing Tusk in my head, so go. that is satisfying. I've got, it's I've had, satisfying. I have so many Cars songs in my head, having, um, having worked on this, and so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the uh, title song is going to be in ten minutes when we get to record the intro that you will have already heard by this time. Mm, interesting that. Good job, Stacy. Uh, thanks. Hey, we have oh, right, season we six, no rules. We have to draw for next week. Okay. While we are ruffling our cups, don't forget about. Oh, sure. Um, bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine. We're putting new material up there each week. It's actually old material. It's anyway, we're pulling stuff from behind the paywall. I don't know what's going to go up this week, but it's going to go up on Tuesday for everybody. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned for that. There's, I don't know, like 20 episodes of other stuff out there now. Yeah. If you're, if you have time to fill, please enjoy stuff. We've had paywalled for a long time. That's free. Okay. I have my cup. Go, go. You, no, you're, you're first next week. You draw first. Oh, oh, I've got mine, but I'm not looking at it until you look at yours. Okay. And then I just, I'm going to give a clue. A clue. A clue. Sherlock. Um, Let me see it. Ooh, we're never doing this again. It's true. Um, yeah, this is, this is one we said we'd never actually dive back into this group this of people. This is a realm, a subject realm yeah. that we were never going to do again. Ooh, um, guess we're eating our it's, paper. It's very real. It's, 
I don't know. It's a traveling cabaret act of bad decisions. How about that? That's good. (laughs) Are you ready for mine? I am, yes. Okay. 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 We've talked to Trashy Divorces All-Star. We've talked about him before in regard to a few stories. He's been a parallel figure, but not the profile. So you're saying he's always a bridesmaid and never a bride? Oh, no. <laughs> he was a bride plenty of times. Okay. I'm excited. This is listeners have requested this one a bunch. I'm excited about Good. this one. Okay. Cool, cool. Cool. All right. That's okay. what we got. Thank you for taking your time and spending it with us. Y'all As are always. the very best. Yeah. Until we meet again next week. Or on Patreon. Keep it trashy. For sure. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Keep it trashy. We'll see you next week. Cheers, friends. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.